Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate, the podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry. The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table to eat, drink and innovate. Uh Hi, everyone. I'm Susie White, a product innovation coach author and podcaster in the food and beverage industry from Melbourne, Australia. Today, I'm talking with Sam McFarlane. She runs a social media and content management agency called Sam Says that creates standout social and online content for small and medium businesses and solopreneurs. Sam's philosophy is that no matter what business you're in, if you're not social online, you're invisible. And she says, when you're amazing at what you do, why wouldn't you want the world to see it? In this episode, Sam shares the do's and don'ts of social media, including how to create content pillars, maximize hashtags, leverage software to schedule content posting, create engaging images, and how to plan out an annual calendar of social media content. And in the aftertaste section, I remind you of the three lessons we learned about how to optimize your social media plans so that you're engaging your customers in the most effective way. Welcome to the podcast today, Sam. Thank you so much for inviting me, Susie, to speak to your audience today. I'm really excited for the opportunity. So are we. This is a really juicy topic today about social media, and I can't wait to dive in. But let's set the scene first for the listeners. So, Sam, how do you describe what your role is in your business and exactly what your business does? Yeah, sure. So I started my business, Sam says, about seven years ago, helping business owners with their social media and content management. I found that having worked and studied in marketing for the previous 15 years, social media was what everyone was talking about and it was where I decided to focus my attention. And Sam, I have to ask, what prompted you to start your own business rather than just joining somebody else's social media agency? So I think that the thing to start my own was really around flexibility. I had a young family and I just found that working in the corporate world was just a little bit difficult to try and juggle everything. And I felt the more that I learned about social media, the more that I actually saw a need for other business owners to have that assistance, that done for you, social media help. So I thought, well, look, I've got the skills. I'm just going to give it a go and go out on my own and and see what happens. And thankfully, I'm still here to tell the tale seven years and going strong. Fantastic. Now, let's dive into the topic of social media, because I feel like it can be a challenging job for particularly small or medium businesses when the owners and operators have to do a lot of it themselves. Thinking about all the social media platforms that are available, which ones do you think are the most relevant and useful for food and beverage businesses? 
when I'm asked this question, I always want to know basically three things. So are they business to consumer, business to business or both? And they're probably both. Um, What the target audience is and what their overall goal is. So I really get people to focus on those areas and then consider things like where the audience is located, what the age and gender of the target buyer is, their average income, are they homeowners, what are their hobbies, what industry do they work in, do they have children, what challenges do they face and um, what problems that they might want to be solved. So I find that knowing that Instagram is is best for business to consumer with a target age and gender of 18 to 35, mostly women, uh, which is shifting. So if you've got a visual product, then Instagram is a great option. It's where a lot of the attention is going at the moment. And uh, also with Instagram stories, it really allows you to open up behind the scenes and let people in with those 15-second short videos that disappear within 24 hours. I think that Instagram is a really great option for that business-to-consumer. And Facebook, similarly, business-to-consumer audience and in some cases business-to-business as well. And the age range with Facebook is usually around 25 to 55 plus with both men and women being on the platform. Twitter, again, is probably best for business to consumer, some business to business. Keeping in mind that Twitter is quite a fast-paced news style social media platform. So if you are on Twitter, then you probably do need to produce a lot more content than you would on, say, Facebook or Instagram. Uh, Pinterest is is best for business to consumer and anywhere between 18 and 45, mostly women. And LinkedIn is is obviously best for a bit of a mixture, business to business, business to consumer, and obviously employment. So 25 to 45 age range and both men and women. You mentioned then, Sam, Instagram stories. And I'm wondering, can you dive in a little bit more on these? In terms of what are their benefit? Because they seem to be quite short term, quite a lot of effort to create. And I'm wondering, why do you think businesses should really bother with these? I think at the moment, it seems like everyone is living in Instagram stories more so than the feed. And I think the benefit of the story is that you really can take people behind the scenes if you are doing that face to camera type of video. Now, I know that they're only 15 seconds uh, and they only last for 24 hours, but you can still save them to your highlights reel. So you can have some um, story covers up the top of your Instagram feed where you've got um, maybe frequently asked questions. If you answer a question that you commonly get from consumers or some behind the scenes shots, if you want to show how the manufacturing is done, for example. Um, So you can sort of choose if you want to keep the story or if you want to let it disappear after 24 hours. Sometimes you can also, if you had a post that's done really well in the feed, you can sometimes share that as a story as well. So it's just another way of repurposing that content. Do you think that satisfies our desire for short, sharp, instant gratification? And is that why we're seeing some of these platforms doing well that are more audio or visual based rather than really copy or text heavy? I think so. And look, everyone consumes media in a different way. So some people are more, they want to read and other people um, prefer to watch videos. So 
I think if you can do a mixture of both, then you're attractive to both audiences. So we talked about the type of social media platforms. And now I'd like to think about if we are one of those food and beverage businesses and we want to talk directly to our consumers, do you have any guidelines for your clients about how many platforms we should be focusing our social media on and how often we should be posting? I think that it it all comes down to time. And so I would recommend no more than two to three platforms and doing them really well. That might just mean that you pick one platform and it might be Instagram, but you do it really well rather than trying to spread yourself across every platform. And I didn't actually mention Snapchat earlier, which I probably should have, but that is uh, the younger target audience and that's more like your very short videos. But um, yeah, look, I think it depends on the time. And and also, do you enjoy it? I know some people that hate LinkedIn, they absolutely detest it. So spending time on there for them is a real drain of their energy. And you don't want to be draining your energy because you just don't, you just won't get around to doing it. And it'll be one of those things on your list that just stays there and never moves. So, you know, pick one, two, maximum three platforms and and do them really well and try and work out if that's where your target audience is and 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 test them out and see what sort of response you're getting and if you're not getting a great response on that that particular platform then maybe that's not the right platform maybe you need to try another one ah uh-huh. now what does a good response look like if i use a strategy and create a campaign and post content how would i know as a business owner sam whether my content is really working effectively for me. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that an engaged audience is the ultimate. That's really what we're going out there and looking for. We're not looking for hundreds of thousands of followers because if we have an audience of hundreds of thousands of people but no one engages with any of the posts, then there's not there's not really much point. So I'd much rather see a much smaller audience but a really engaged audience. And that just means that people are liking and commenting on posts. They might be sending DMs in Instagram uh, and, and people are a lot more likely to send DMs in Instagram rather than messages through Facebook Messenger. People feel that once they're following you on Instagram that and they, they're following your journey, they're looking at your posts, maybe they're looking at your stories, they feel like they're part of the journey with you and so they feel like they can connect with you and ask you questions. So I think that they're the sort of things to be looking at are the um, engagement and the reach, you know, how many likes, how many shares, how many comments. Okay, so engagement, that's what we're looking for here and definitely not a one-way flow of information from you telling people all about your product or services and getting no response. Yeah, and I'm just going to keep shouting it out to anyone that will listen. It's not about the megaphone. The way to check that if you're not sure is always just take a look at your analytics. Uh, which are quite easy to find in Instagram and and Facebook. Then if you see that some posts are doing particularly well, then do more of that. And then if others aren't doing so well, then maybe hold back on those or try and see how you can improve them. You know, there's, there's different styles of posts, but I think mixing up the types of posts, so you've sort of got that engagement and education 
and entertainment happening in the post. So you've got like an education style post, you might have a promotional style post, an inspirational post and a connection type of post. So mixing all those up so it's not all promotion all the time because people will just tune out to that if you're always telling them to buy your stuff. You really need to hook people in with with your content. And Sam, would you call that a content strategy? You know, those making those conscious decisions of what posts am I doing to entertain? What am I doing to educate? What am I doing to engage? Yeah, definitely. And things like content pillars as well. So working out what is it that you want to be known for? And there might be five to 10 things that you want the business to be known for. And then really focusing on those those topics and really getting that information out there that this is what you want to be known for and talking about that all the time because that way people are very clear about what it is that you offer and what you want to be known for versus if you're just uh, spreading multiple messages about all different things, people will never really know what it is that you stand for. So content pillars, could you give us an example of what they might be like Let's imagine we have a family-owned and operated business that makes healthy and nutritious muesli bars. What might be a content pillar for that business? Healthy living could be a content pillar. You want to really promote that you're all about healthy living, so active lifestyle, you know, eating nutritionally rich food and fueling your body. Family-owned businesses could be another one. So, you know, we're really about families and and spending more time with families, quality time. Uh, you know, it might be a a food product that makes things easier for families. So, they're, they're types of things that you might want to include in your content pillars. Okay, got it. So, it's not just about flogging your product. It's also about focusing on the bigger stories, maybe around your brand and business values and beliefs, and they can become the content pillars you want to focus on as well. Definitely. And I love the way that you that you said the word stories there, because that's that's what it is. We all love a good story. So it's all about telling stories on our social media and bringing people along the journey with us. People can really engage with stories. People could talk about theory all day long, but they won't always remember that. But if you tell them a good story, they'll, they'll pretty much always remember that and they'll resonate with that and they'll, they'll get to know you based on your stories. Now, Sam, something you mentioned earlier that I'd like to go back to and dive into a little bit more deeply was you mentioned we should look at the analytics of a post. Now, what exactly did you mean by that and what should we be looking for? Sure. So I think that what you really want to be looking for when you're looking at the analytics is, okay, how many people has this reached? So how many of my followers has this post been seen by? And you probably will have heard that on Facebook, the organic reach is really low. It's around, I think, 3% for business pages. So that can be quite scary for people thinking, I've only got, you know, might have 100 followers and only three of those are seeing my posts. Like, what am I spending all my time doing? But that's a general statistic for organic reach. So that's how many people 
Facebook will generally show it too. Now, if those three people in the audience, for example, start to engage on that post. So they might like it. They might respond in a comment. They might share it. That's telling Facebook then, okay, these people are enjoying this content. Let's push it out to more people. And it works a similar way on Instagram. So the more interaction that you get, so the more likes, comments, and shares, the more those platforms will essentially reward you by then showing it to more people. So it's those posts that don't get any traction, no comments, no likes, no shares. They just will only show them to that 3%. So that might be a bit of a nasty surprise for a lot of people that, you know, I've made a post, aren't all my followers seeing it? And the reality is no, the algorithm just doesn't work that way. Yeah, so it can be really scary to think that if you're putting in a lot of effort and only 3% of people are seeing it, then you can sort of think, well, why would I bother? But I think at the end of the day, that's where it really comes down to having that strategy and working out, okay, what is it that I want to share with my audience and how am I going to connect with them? How am I going to inspire them? How will I educate them about what I do? And bringing that all together so it's not just here's my product, here's my product again, buy it now, on sale, you know, that sort of thing. It's, okay, what are the benefits of the product? How can the product be used? So sharing information that you think that your audience would be interested in uh, that doesn't necessarily always relate to your brand, but it's, again, coming back to your target audience and what their interests are. So, Sam, we know we don't want to just talk about our product exclusively and we do want to engage our followers and supporters on social media. Do you have any general guidelines that you give to your clients in terms of what does good look like and what they should be focusing on? I think that it really comes down to having that mixture of content that's going out. So, as long as content is going to educate, entertain or engage your audience somehow, then you would be expecting that you would get likes and shares and comments based on that. So as far as what you shouldn't be doing, I think, you know, don't always be asking people to buy your stuff. Having that mixture of content, so letting them know what the benefits are and and how the product could help them are probably the best ways to think about things like that. Now, I bet you've seen the best and the worst in the industry. And Sam, I'm wondering, do you have any examples, maybe of food and beverage businesses that you think are just doing it really well in terms of their social media presence? There's so many. And I think one of my favorite examples is Josh's Rainbow Eggs. I think they really tell a beautiful story of the nine-year-old boy wanting some pocket money, um, taking over the family's flock of 40 hens, collecting the eggs and cold calling them into local shops in the town. You know, his flock then grew. He moved on to selling eggs at farmer's markets. Now he sells in major supermarkets around Melbourne and and Macedon ranges. I think that his feed beautifully shares images from the behind the scenes of the hens, uh, the farm, the dogs, and he really takes followers on a journey through his social media. So I think that he's doing a brilliant job. Thank You is another 
company that I think could do a great job of sharing information about their products and also how the profits from their products help people in need. They share a lot of the behind the scenes pictures of their team as well. So their followers can really feel part of their community and that makes people feel good. Um, I also love one of your other podcast guest Morgan from Bistro Morgan. He has some beautiful images of his products, which of course are donuts. So he wouldn't love seeing beautiful photos of the donuts. But there's also videos of how they're made and some behind the scenes shots of the delivery van and events that he's running. So again, followers can be taken on a little bit of a journey. Yes. And I have met Josh from Josh's Rainbow Eggs and he's now well past high school. But I remember what I loved so much about his social media, especially his Facebook posts, was just how authentic and real the pictures and the videos were. And that from a really young age, he was just making videos about life on the farm, raising his chickens, to his first meeting with Woolworths to try and sell the eggs in there. And it it just really welcomed you into the business. And it just left you with a wonderful, warm, engaged feeling that made you really care how Josh got on and how his business grew. And you can't help feeling good about yourself when you see things like that and and if you do invest in those products because he really does. And it's that authenticity as well, which I think, you know, if we can get more of that online, then, you know, that's what people can really resonate with because people don't resonate with the big messages from the big corporate. They really like to be taken behind the scenes and, and shown you know, the journey of, of the business. And some people might think, oh, but I've got, I don't have a story like that. You know, I, I, I can't share like, what would people be interested in, but you, you'd probably be surprised. People do love all that behind the scenes stuff. And we as business owners might think, oh, but that's just really mundane. That's just part of my job. But from an outsider's perspective, they don't know what you do day to day. And that might be really interesting for them to be taken on that journey. And it just brings them into your world. And I mean, we're all sticky beaks at the end of the day. We love to know what everyone else is doing. So I think being able to take people behind the scenes and share that with them really just helps build that no like trust on, on social media. You are so right. I love seeing behind the scenes, particularly in food and beverage, when you get to look in the kitchen or inside the manufacturing plant about how products are made and who's making them. Because usually we just see that final finished product and there's something fascinating about understanding and knowing all the work that went into creating it. Yeah, that's right. And even, you know, who is behind the scenes? Like you might have some family members involved like and telling their story. You know, people love that sort of stuff. They love knowing, you know, how this product got to be. Um, so I think sharing more of that with your audience, it's, it's always the stuff that does really, really well. It's time for a quick break now. When we come back, you'll hear from Sam McFarlane of Sam Says how consistency is king when it comes to your social media strategy. I'd like to say a quick thanks to today's sponsor who helped make this podcast possible, the Monash Food Innovation Centre. They can help you fast track and de-risk your new products in the Australian market 
or export markets like China. Did you know that only one in 10 food and beverage products survive the first year of launch? That means nine out of 10 fail. If you'd like to be one of those businesses that gets it right, then the Monash Food Innovation Center can help. It has cutting edge technologies, product development services, and runs capability workshops to upskill business owners and employees in the art and science of food innovation. Whether you're a food startup or a large corporation, check them out at www.foodinnovationcenter.com and see how they can help grow your business through innovation. Welcome back. I've been speaking with Sam McFarlane of Sam Says about social media. And so far, we've learned about different platform types, about developing content pillars. And so I also asked Sam for some guidance on the frequency of using social media. Is there such a thing as too much or doing too little? It all comes down to consistency. So, you know, again, it's going to come back to how much time do you have available um, or how much money do you have to invest. In an ideal world, you could potentially say that posting daily would be great, but realistically speaking, perhaps, you know, three, four times a week is is more achievable. As long as you have a strategy that you're working towards and you're not just posting for the sake of posting. And again, you know, because on Instagram, a lot of people are spending time in stories. So posting three to four times a week or every second day to the feed and then posting to stories more regularly might be be more optimal. It's all about consistency. So you never want to see people posting every day flat out for a month and then they just disappear and then you don't know where they've gone. Are they still in business? And then they come back and they post, you know, one post a week and then maybe two posts a day and that inconsistency builds suspicion amongst people and so then they then they don't know if if you're really in business if there's that little bit of suspicion they won't they won't buy oh no Sam I'm cringing as I hear you say that because I know I've been guilty of doing that myself given that everybody seems to be crazy busy these days and posting can be another thing that might be really easy to let slip or miss I'm wondering, is there an easier way for people to be able to manage their posting in advance? Definitely. So I would always recommend taking that time to sit aside and, and thinking about what's what's coming up for that week, for that month, for that next three, six, nine, 12 months even, um, and, and really planning your content out. So I would recommend scheduling ahead of time if you can. So if you're thinking, okay, what are some... Uh, educational style posts. Like once you've started to, to find that one, then you sort of get on a bit of a roll. So scheduling that content ahead of time, you know, there's free tools like Hootsuite and Buffer. I know Later has a free option as well. There's Planoly. Facebook allows you to post in Facebook. So if you can get onto one of those platforms and schedule some content ahead of time, then at least, you know, maybe you've got two posts going out a week, three posts going out a week, whatever it is that you decide. So it just takes the pressure off a little bit so you're not sitting there every day thinking, God, I've got to post something on social media. What am I going to say? Because you just hear crickets. You just, 
you just can't put yourself under that pressure. I love that you're not at the mercy of your calendar then, that you can plan things out and really maybe even brainstorm topics you want to cover well in advance to ensure you've got that consistent program of posting lined up. So Sam, I'd like to just switch gears for a minute here and talk more about intellectual property and copyrights. And I just want to ask, how do you make sure you stay on the right side of image usage and content usage and make sure you're not infringing on someone else's intellectual property? If you've got a product-based business, then you can have a professional photo shoot done and you can get some great images of your products. But there's no reason why you also couldn't just take some photos on the fly of your products just using your phone as well. Obviously, the professional ones are going to come out a lot better. But I think, again, being authentic, uh, those behind-the-scenes posts that you take on your phone can still be really popular. Now, if you are using say you've seen a photo on Instagram or Pinterest or something and you want to share it, then always make sure that you tag the person when you're sharing it so that you're giving them that credit to say, you know, image via or you get the little photo, a camera emoji, and then you tag them. So that just means the app tag and their handle, you're giving credit back to them. And there's lots of royalty-free Um, stock photo libraries like Unsplash that I love. There's Pixels, there's Pixabay. But I think that I wouldn't want to be using too many royalty-free stock images because we do see them everywhere and people don't necessarily relate so much to those stock photos. So I think, you know, sharing those behind-the-scenes photos is definitely the way to go. And, you know, even if you wanted to have some branded memes, then you could use something like Canva.com, which is a great free graphic design style tool that non-graphic designers can use and get something really great designed up and relatively easy as well. Okay, so let's assume now we've got our images ready, we know our content pillars, we've been posting consistently. I guess the next question is really around What's the rhythm for planning your social media campaign? I mean, Sam, how often do you recommend to your clients that they should maybe step out of their business and really sit down and do their social media planning? I would look at your year and then break that down into quarters and then into month. You know, if you can look at 12 months in advance, you sort of know generally what's going to be happening in business. So you sort of look at the 12 months, six, three, and then each month. So what's happening, you know, in any given month? Are there particular food expos that you're going to be exhibiting at, attending at? Uh, Are you releasing a new product? Because then if you are going to be releasing a new product, then obviously the focus for social media in the lead up is going to be on that new product. And you might have a teaser campaign around that. Uh, You might be sharing some little hints about what it is. So I think that if you can look at it that way, just makes it seem a lot less overwhelming because otherwise you'll just look at it and think, oh, social media, it's just, it's just all too hard. But I think if you can break it down and if you are aiming for three posts a week, then it just becomes a lot easier if you can break them down into the types and then you've got your content pillars there and you can sort of start to slot things in. And 
you can absolutely reshare posts that you've had in the past. If they've done really well, then chances are that people might not necessarily remember three months ago or six months ago when you posted this particular thing. So there might be posts that you can share over time more than once. So thinking about things like that, I think as well, when you're planning can just really help get your head around the big, massive job of social media, just breaking it down into those bite-sized chunks. Yeah, that's a great advice. And it just makes it seem less daunting and more manageable. So recently, I was asked by a small business owner whether I could recommend a PR agency for them. And the reality was, actually, no, I couldn't, because most of the small businesses I know are now using social media as their primary public relations vehicle. And I'm wondering, Sam, do you feel like social media has taken on that role and is replacing PR campaigns for many businesses? Look, it has a little bit. I I still think that there's definitely a space for public relations, but when we do run our own business, we kind of do everything. So we are the PR manager, the marketing manager, uh, we're the the bookkeeper, we're the accountant, we're the manufacturing department, we're, we're everything. And I think that social media is such a great tool and that's why I love it so much because it can do so much for businesses and it's free at the end of the day. Yes, you can use Facebook ads and get more reach that way, and but it, it is a free platform and, and that's just why I love it so much. So for those food and beverage business owners who are listening, Sam, and thinking that they should really make a start, what advice would you have for them to really kick off their social media plans and campaigns? So I guess I think about those content pillars, what you want to be known for and and list out those five to 10 things and then make sure you're really focusing on those things when you are putting together your posts for social media. So keep them top of mind because if you have them top of mind, then it will just make it so much easier for you to identify content that you could share or posts that you could write And then if you try and think about, okay, I want to have those education style posts, I want to have one of those a week. So then you only need four in a month. And then I want to have some promotional style posts. So that might even be a testimonial from a customer. It might be a recipe, um, you know, of how to use your product or where they can buy the product, um, things like that. If your product is being stocked in particular stores, then you could do a shout out to the stockists and that way you're helping the stockists uh, and you're also helping helping your own business. So even though I've listed those four styles of posts, there's probably about 10 different styles within each post. So then your inspirational type of post might be an an inspirational quote. Uh, Your connection style post might be some type of question to the audience. It might be a meet the owner, that sort of thing. So I think that trying to identify content that way just breaks it down a little bit for you. And I actually work off an Excel spreadsheet when I put together my content plans for my clients. That way I've always got in each month what content going out, what images go with it, any URLs, all the hashtags that I want to use. And it just means that everything's in one place and it just makes things so much easier when you break it down into those content types. 
Now, you did mention earlier the hashtag word. And so I just have to ask, do you have a rule of thumb with hashtags around how many we should be using? Look, I think for Instagram, you can use up to 30 hashtags. So why wouldn't you try and use as many of those 30 as you can? I wouldn't necessarily just be putting up random hashtags that don't necessarily relate. You know, there's a lot of hashtags out there that they say, you've got to use this hashtag, like for like, and and all that sort of stuff. And I just think you're going to get the wrong followers by using those types of hashtags. So really research the hashtags that you want to be using and make sure that they are relevant. So if you can only find 10 that are relevant, just use those. But I'd also recommend mixing them up because, you know, there is this thing called the the shadow ban on hashtags. So if you use a hashtag that's been shadow banned, then people won't see that particular post that that hashtag has been used on. Uh, obviously, your your brand can be a hashtag. And then if you're doing research on hashtags, just type in the hashtag that you think people would be searching on. And then Instagram will actually give you a whole list of others and they'll share how many people are following that particular hashtag and how many posts have that hashtag on it. So if there's millions and millions, then I probably wouldn't necessarily use that hashtag you know, I'd probably try and use a mixture of hashtags. Maybe there's a few hundred thousand followers. Maybe there's, you know, 50,000 followers. And then maybe there's less than 10,000 followers. So I'd use a mixture of those three numbers because the the bigger following ones, uh, it is going to be harder for your content to stand out. Okay. So it sounds part art, part science. And that the key is really finding a hashtag that'll bring the right people to my site and my content and not using those super obvious hashtags where my content will just get lost in the abyss of overuse on that really popular hashtag. In wrapping up, Sam, could you tell us maybe if some of the listeners still have a lot of questions or feel like they need some help with their own social media plans, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? via my website, which is samsays.com.au. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram under Sam Says Social and under LinkedIn, I'm Sam McFarlane. So I'm happy to answer any questions that people have, no obligation, because I know that, you know, if I didn't work in this space, it's a really overwhelming space to be in. And Sam, in terms of resources, I'm just wondering, do you have anything that maybe listeners could access that could get them up and running quickly and starting to operate and run their own social media plans? I do have an ebook which has some content ideas in it, and that is for sale via my website. I also have a free uh, content calendar. So that is a free downloadable. So you get a content plan that you can basically go and put in your content and you'll also get a special holidays of the year. So it might have National Donut Day or something like this is on this particular day because we all know that there's probably one or two days every day of the week that is a different day, Chocolate Lovers Day, Coffee Day, you know, name your day. So I'd probably also add that into your content plan. Take a look at the days that relate to your industry and you can get some more post ideas from that. 
Oh, terrific. I will make sure I include a link to that free downloadable content calendar in the episode show notes so people know exactly where to find it. And thank you so much for chatting with me today, Sam. I have learned a lot and I think it's been really helpful to demystify social media for us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and I hope that those tips have helped. Aftertaste, the sweet taste of success. Thanks for sticking around. This is the part of the podcast when I think back on my chat with Sam McFarlane from Sam Says and reflect on what we learned. And today, I'm going to talk about the three key learnings that I took away that will help you make your social media campaign more effective. Lesson number one, Sam told us about the different types of media posts like inspirational, promotional, connection building, and educational. And I thought it was really helpful when planning each social media post to think about its ultimate purpose. And I'd summarize these as the three E's. Simply ask yourself, is this content going to one, educate, two, entertain, or three, engage my customers? This will help you ensure you're creating content with a clear intent, rather than just randomly posting for the sake of it. Lesson number two, when it comes to creating images, don't be scared to create videos or photos that pull back the curtain and show behind the scenes of your business. These may show the people, processes, the making, baking, packing, or stacking of your products. As consumers, we're all looking for deeper connections with the products we buy and the businesses we support these days. So rather than only showing the beautifully finished product, let us into the heart of your business, share your journey of creation with us, and this will help engage your customers more deeply. And finally, lesson number three, consistency is king when it comes to social media posting. You may only be able to post once a week, but doing this consistently for 52 weeks of the year is still much better than posting fast and furious for a couple of months and then disappearing altogether. Inconsistency in social media posting breeds suspicion. Customers start wondering, is the business still open? Is it trading successfully? Do the owners really care about engaging with me as a customer Or was it all just short-term, meaningless lip service? If maintaining a consistent rhythm for your social media seems daunting, remember to treat it like a marathon, not a sprint. So find a jogging pace that you can comfortably set and maintain for a long time. And don't forget to use those software pre-programming platforms that can make this easier for you. Or outsource the job if you simply don't have the time or interest to do it. Well, that's it for this episode. Many thanks again to my guest today, Sam McFarlane from Sam Says, for sharing her knowledge and guidance about how to successfully use social media. You can get in touch with Sam via Instagram, Facebook, or her website, Sam Says, and I'll put these links in the podcast show notes with a link to that free downloadable content calendar we spoke about, so you can have a go at planning out a full year of your social media plans. And of course, I'd love to hear from you on this topic. Are you just dipping your toe into the social media circus for the first time? Or are you already making big wins in your social media campaigns? 
you can give me a call on the Eat, Drink, Innovate podcast hotline. It's 613-884-4823 and leave me a voicemail message. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to tell a friend or colleague and join me next time to Eat, Drink and Innovate. Do you have any suggestions about successful food or beverage entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think Susie should be talking to? You can get in touch with her at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au forward slash podcast and find all the show note links and innovation resources there too. And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from. 